Well, welcome everybody. We're you know we're glad you're here, um, and you know this weekend our youth you know went on oh this week our youth went on a their annual youth camp, which is I think about four days, and something amazing happened on Thursday night. And Michael was telling me that the worship and the speaker, who I knew was an awesome speaker, everything just clicked. And he said, you could just really sense the power of the Holy Spirit among the kids' lives. And kids came back, and their lives were changed. And as I asked Michael to describe it, he said, I can't describe it. You had to have been there. To experience that. And what a wonderful thing to see the Holy Spirit being poured out on our young people because they're the next generation turning their hearts over to God saying, God, I'm going to follow you. You know, and it's a wonderful thing. But whenever something wonderful happens, it seems like our enemy does something to try to mess it up. You know, before um, the camp, all of the kids in our conference were asked to test for COVID-19. And so they all tested negative. But while they were up at camp, they were up there with another group, which was a fairly large group, and we're not sure if they were tested. However, um, I guess that there were some that weren't tested and who had COVID, with a majority of our kids that were up there, as well as our counselors, had tested positive for COVID. And so that's why you don't see any, if you look around, go, where are the young people? You know, where are the advisors? Well, they're at home right now. And so this is just a reminder, you know, there was an article in the LA Times yesterday about the possible summer surge. And it's a reminder for all of us just to be careful. You know, if you don't feel well, stay at home. Um, and, you know, follow the uh, LA County health guidelines and the CDCs. But, you know, if you could pray for our youth, and our leaders, I mean, our leaders spent a lot of time with them, and our youth had a wonderful, wonderful experience with God. But once again, it seems like sometimes when God does something wonderful, something else comes in afterwards to um, detract them. So that's why we we're not having a Connect Cafe today, because the youth were in charge of providing it, and there's no youth or advisors. So just wanted to let, uh, let you know. But many of you know that um, I worked for Continental Airlines as a supervisor and as what they call a shift manager before I came into the ministry. But one of the perks, and I've shared this before, is that we got to travel. And since I was in management, a lot of times when we got to travel, it was either in business or first class. You know, whether it was locally or international. And I tell people, don't do it. Because once you fly international business or first class, you are not want you do not want to go back um, to coach. But I would fly to different countries, and I remember one time I was flying from um, Tokyo to I think it was Bangkok, right? And so what, what we happened to get in first class, so we and a couple, uh, friend were there. And so as I was settling in, they, you know, I mean, the, the way they treat you is just phenomenal. It's almost like you have your own flight attendant waiting on you. And so there was a flight attendant who was wearing a kimono. And guess who got that flight attendant? It was me. And so she came up to me and handed all these magazines. I looked at them and I go, these are in Japanese. You know, I can't read them. You know, and so I gave them back and said, Could do you have anything in English? And she kind of had a puzzled look on her face, right? And then mealtime came, 
So the appetizers, and they serve you by courses, right? And so I get like like sushi and all of that. And not that I didn't like it, but I was looking at my friend. He was getting steak. And I was saying, I want that. You know, why do you assume that I wanted something like sushi or something like that when I could have had steak? But they assumed since I was there and I looked like this, that this is what I wanted. And so whenever I go everywhere, no one ever assumes that I'm an American. You know, I've flown to Germany, and they're astonished. They go, how come your English is so good? You know, how did you learn? Where did you learn in Japan to speak English? And there, you know, I've been to news. Every place I've gone, I've always, they always tell me that. The only place I, they haven't said that is when I went to Japan. And someone's like, why can't you speak Japanese? <laughs> you know, but every place else, they assumed that I was Japanese because I looked at this. Nobody has ever assumed that I was an American. Now, you know what? That's, you know, okay when you travel abroad. But it's different when it happens here. You know, I remember growing up with stories of my father um, telling me of how they faced prejudice growing up, you know, because of World War II. They'd go traveling, and even though the, uh, they would stop off at a motel and it says vacancy, and then the, they would go in and try to check in, and um, the person would say, sorry, we're full. And my dad would say, well, the, the sign says vacancy. And they'd go, I'm sorry, we're full. And they'd go to certain towns where every motel that they would stop in, and even when I was a little kid, and I didn't know this, they would get turned down because they were... Japanese, right? And then also, when I was growing up, I experienced that too. You know, there's certain places that we would go, and then people would go, hey, Ching Chong, you know, and they would say this. And so, basically, when you experience prejudice like that, what they're saying is you don't belong. You don't belong in this country. Because in this country... You know, Americans are supposed to be uh, look a certain way, and you don't look like that. You don't belong. And so part of what we're, we're going to talk about today is prejudice has no place in the church. Prejudice is anti the gospel message. Any kinds of prejudice, whether it's to a minority or to another race, there is no room for prejudice in the church of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's sad because we see that. You know, especially today, our country is divided more than ever. And we as believers should be the beacon. We should be the model of what it means for a diverse community to come together and put our differences past us in order to worship God and not care about where we look like, where we're from. But this is something that the um, church had to uh, struggle with. And we've been going through the uh, book of Galatians. And if you take a look at the theme of Galatians, the theme is getting the gospel right. Getting the gospel right. Because there are eternal consequences if we get the gospel wrong. And we know that Galatians is probably one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. Some people say James was the first book written. Others think Galatians was the first book. Um, book written, but it was written about maybe 49 AD, which is only 16 years after 
the uh, death and burial of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, Jesus died, and so all of a sudden, 16 years later, you know, this church is being, the church has been birthed. But now within the church, they're trying to figure out how do we exist at a church with all of these different, with the different races and different cultures. And so before um, I start in our text, I want to give us a little background information. So if you have your, um, well, just to let you know, um, I'm going to kind of summarize a portion of Acts 10. And Acts 10 is where God is opening the door for the gospel to be um, shared with the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are just non-Jews. Because the church started, it was all Jewish, right? And then we see in Acts 10, God opening the door to the gospel message being uh, sent to the Gentiles. One angel tells this um, G- a Roman centurion, Cornelius, to go and send for Peter and bring him to his house. And the next day, Peter has this dream where he sees this, you know, the sheet open, and he sees all kinds of animals on that. And these are animals that the old Mosaic law prohibited Jews to eat. And he's looking at all of them, and God tells him, kill and eat. And Peter said, these are unclean foods. I can't eat these things. So Peter says, no, I'm not going to eat these things. And then Peter had that dream two more times. So a total of three times he had this dream where God said, look, whatever, um, whatever, nothing is impure that I myself had made clean. So what God was telling Peter that, hey, there's been a transition The old dietary laws are no longer in effect. You could now eat these things. Right? So he had this dream. And so um, Peter then goes and stays at Cornelius' house. Right? Now, this is a first for Peter. Because, you know, the Jews were not supposed to what? Interact with Gentiles. Because, number one, they thought Gentiles were unclean. The Jewish viewed Gentiles as sinners. You just don't want to hang. you, You shouldn't be hanging around with them. But that's what Peter was doing. And that he was probably uncomfortable because he grew up a Jew. He knew that he all his life he was taught, don't associate with those people. So could you imagine being taught that your whole life? Then all of a sudden, God telling him through Cornelius, hey, you need to go to this Gentile's house. So if you have your Bibles, this is what in Acts 10.34 Peter went to this house, and he, you know, was staying with them. And he said, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. See, Cornelius was a God-fearing man. You know, he prayed to God. He gave to those in need. And so Peter's saying, okay, now I understand. God doesn't make a distinction between Gentile and Jew. There is no more them and us. That's what Peter was saying. And so he stays at Cornelius' house for several days. 
okay? And they saw, he saw the Holy Spirit working. And all of a sudden, all of these Gentiles, while they were at Cornelius' house, you know, they started speaking in tongues. And all of the Jewish believers who were with Peter were just amazed. They were just amazed that God is doing his work and the Spirit is working through Gentiles. Because up to then, they thought the Holy Spirit only worked through Jews, right? But then they're just amazed. God is working through these Gentile um, individuals. So Peter returns to Jerusalem, but he was questioned by Jewish believers who basically said, well, you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with them. It's like, okay, Peter, we heard you stayed in the home of a Gentile. We heard you stayed several days. We heard that you ate with them. I said, can you give us an explanation on why you did this horrible thing? And so once again, the Jewish believers, you know, they're still in this transition trying to figure out, you know, what it means to be the church. But they criticized Peter for doing what was against, you know, the Mosaic law. You hung out with Gentiles. You're not supposed to do that. And then we see in... um, Acts 11, starting with 15. And this is what Peter says. And this is how he responds to them. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came upon, came on them, meaning the Gentiles, as he had come on, come to us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they, the ones who questioned Peter, heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even the Gentile, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So once again, they questioned Peter to saying, why are you hanging out with these uncircumcised Gentiles? But after Peter was telling them, hey, I saw the Holy Spirit work. They spoke in tongues. We baptized them. And then they who questioned Peter said, started praising God and saying, you know what? Okay. You know, we thought that the Holy Spirit just worked through us. He's working through them too. So Peter sees this in Acts 10. He knows God is doing this new thing. He's seeing how the Holy Spirit now is working in the lives of the Gentiles. That God, the Holy Spirit now is not just reserved for the Jews, but anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, which includes the Gentiles. And this is important. Now let's go to um, our text. Okay. In Galatians 2.11. It says, When Cephas, meaning Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So who's writing this? The Apostle Paul. So Paul comes to Antioch, and Peter, when Peter comes to Antioch, Paul opposed him to his face. Because Antioch was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. It was considered to be like a New York, Chicago, or Los Angeles. Anything you wanted to know, philosophically, business, you know, intellectual, universities, it was all there. They had everything. However, there was a heavy Gentile population there and a small Jewish population. So you can imagine as the church started, it was all Jewish, right? Now, 
you go to the region of Galatia, and it's, they see all Gentile and a small, small portion of Jews there in the church. And people don't like change, right? And so it says Peter um, went to the church there, and he was seeing, wait a second, Gentiles are with Jews. This is probably the first time where he saw a church doing this. Now, he went, to, he went and visited Cornelius, but that wasn't a church. That was a visitation. But this is the first time he's seeing a church actually do this and try to minister to a church, right? And so, but Paul says, I have posed Peter to his face. Now, this is huge. This is huge. Because you probably say, oh, well, yeah, Paul. No, Paul, this is an apostle confronting an apostle. But Paul is not just confronting any apostle, right? Who's Paul confronting? He's confronting Peter. Peter was the leader of the apostles, and Paul was confronting him. Um, and basically what this is showing is that even leaders or any, any of us, sometimes behavior has to be confronted. If, there's, if you see somebody doing something wrong out of love, we have to confront. We have to be careful when we do that. We need to pray before we do that. We need to confront in love, right? But we still need to confront. So the question is, what did Peter do so wrong that Paul had to um, confront him? And pretty much the, the wording here is that he, Paul says, I put you on trial and I found you guilty. So the question is, what did Pete, Peter do? Well, we see that in verse 12. It says, for before certain men came from James, he, meaning Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. So it says, before certain men came from James. Now, who's this James? James is not the original um, apostle. James is the half-brother of Jesus who was the head of the church in Jerusalem. And then who are these certain men? These certain men were Judaizers. They were called false teachers. And they were teaching that, yes, you have to have faith in Jesus for your salvation, but you have to convert to Judaism first. Convert to Judaism and confess your faith in Jesus. And then after you confess your faith in Jesus, you have to follow the Mosaic law. And that's what they were um, teaching. And so these were the certain men that um, um, the Paul was talking about. They were not representatives of James. These were the Judaizers, right? And so um, what he says is, before certain men came, he, Peter, used to eat with Gentiles. Once again, Peter, when he came to Antioch, he probably saying, what is this? You have Jews and Gentiles fellowshipping together. You have Jews and Gentiles eating together and not following the Mosaic laws. They're just eating food. Most likely the Gentiles ate Jewish food and the Jewish folks ate Gentile food. But Peter was saying, you know, this is great. You know, this is probably the, this is the church that Jesus was talking about, right? Where they broke down all the racial, ethnic, and social barriers. What? And they were one in Jesus. And so Peter, Peter saw this, and he was excited about this, right? But then what happened in verse 12? 
But when they, the men, arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And so basically what happened is Peter is finally getting the gospel. He's seeing both Jews and Gentile, different races, different ethnic groups coming together and fellowshipping with one another. And he thinks this is great. And then what happens? Uh-oh. We see some people from the home church come. And so what does he do? He withdraws and separates himself. It would be like if we had a Wednesday night fellowship dinner here, right? And all of a sudden, a few people, you know, would get together and say, okay, let's take our dinner and let's go into another room. And what we're going to do is we're going to put a sign on the doorway that only those who are like us can eat with us. They have to eat by themselves, but we will be separate from them. And this probably confused the Gentiles because they're going, hey, what's going on? You know, where's Peter going? Because, you know, Peter was a superstar. You know, they, when you know, Jesus comes, they were probably excited to see them. They're saying, oh, my gosh, you were with Jesus. You saw him, them feed the uh, 5,000. How did he do that? You know, how did he do that? Or, man, he turned water into water. Could you teach us how to do that? You know, how did he do that? And so uh, Peter was a superstar, so they were probably thrilled to have Peter in the presence. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, where's this guy going? He's ignoring us. He won't eat with us. He won't talk to us anymore. So they were probably confused. Why? Because he was afraid of the Judaizers. He was afraid of the people that came who believed that salvation was not by Jesus Christ alone, but it was through the works of the law. So he's afraid of the power. Um, he was probably afraid for his reputation. And, he, you know, he probably was uh, afraid of, you know, their response, right? And they probably went up to Peter and said, you know, we've been hearing some things about you. So we came down here to check it out for ourselves. You know you're not supposed to be eating with these Gentiles because they're uncircumcised. They circumcised. They haven't converted to Judaism. Why are you eating with them? Why are you fellowshipping with them? He said, by associating with them, you are leading a sinful life. And that's probably what they were accusing Peter of doing. But remember with Cornelius, he stood up when people questioned him. However, this time, he cowered in fear. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, Fear of men will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. We have to remember that. Nothing good comes from fearing man over God. Even Jesus said, do not be afraid of the one who could kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Right? This is the same Peter. Remember him when he was saying, all the other disciples, they might desert you. They may fall away, but I never will. Jesus, I'm going to stay loyal to you to the end. These guys, they're not as loyal as I am. 
me, I'll be with you to the end. And then what happens? Peter denies Jesus three times when Jesus was arrested. Why? Because he was afraid of being identified as one of the disciples. Right? And this is only about 16 years, you know, after, you know, Peter denied Jesus. But it kind of goes that even the strongest suffer fear. That even the best, you know, you know, fall. And so when we take a look at our lives, yes, we're going to fail. Yes, we're not perfect. But look at Peter. You know, Peter lived with Jesus for um, three years. You know, as the church was growing, he saw the Holy Spirit doing the amazing things. However, 16 years later, what? He reverted back to old Peter, right? And he was afraid, right? And so we all do that. But what was so hideous about this is the next verse. Verse 2, 13. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Now, Barnabas was Peter's companion. Barnabas was seeing the, whole, the Holy Spirit work in the lives of the Gentile. But what does it say here? Because Peter, their leader, decided, you know what? I'm afraid I don't want to hang out with them. And that was the issue. It was not so, it, it could have been, yes, they're eating unclean food. But when you take a look at this, the real reason Paul was so upset is Peter was in essentially saying, I'm not associating with them. He had an us and them mentality. But we, where it becomes really bad, and this is why it angered Paul, it says the other Jews joined his hypocrisy. And even Barnabas, one of their leaders, he also sat with Peter, and it's in the members-only club. But so did the others. Because Peter went down that road, so many people followed his sin of prejudice. Well, Peter's conduct in Antioch, what was Peter's freedom? Well, he was free to eat with the Gentiles. Good God said, you know what? There are no more dietary laws. You could eat with them. You don't have to abstain from pork or lobster or shrimp or crab. Feel free to eat all of those things, right? You could do it. You could do it, right? And no, no doubt that Peter was saying, man, I love this lobster, you know? And so, but that's the freedom. He said, don't worry about consistently trying to follow the laws. You're saved by grace now. You are accepted by grace. You're not accepted by following rules and regulations, which so many of us feel that we need to do to be accepted by God. And that is a false gospel. But what was Peter's fear? He was afraid of the Judaizers. He was afraid of what people might say to him back at the home church. He was probably afraid of his reputation. And what was Peter's fall or sin? He withdrew from the Gentiles, the people that he loved, the people that were his brothers and sisters, the people that he enjoyed being with, he separated himself from them, basically sending a message, you are not in the members-only club. Sorry. All right. 
And then we see the Council of Jerusalem, right? The Council of Jerusalem was in about eighty fifty, and it answered two questions. It says, do the Gentiles have to become Jews before they could become Christians? Because this was what's going on in the church. They were saying, no, in order to become a believer, you have to become a Jew first. And then the question is, when the Gentiles did become a Christian, do they have to observe the law of Moses after they become Christians? Now, I know that some of you, this may not matter, but some of you are scholars. You might think about this, and it's like, well, the question is, when did the Council of Jerusalem happen? Because at the Council of Jerusalem, this issue was answered. You know, there was no more questions after the Council of Jerusalem. Now, some theologians believe that the Council of Jerusalem happened before Galatians 2. And if that's the case, this makes Peter's failure even more grave because the Council of Jerusalem said what it meant to be saved and how to continue as in the faith, right? However, there are others believe that the Council of uh, Jerusalem happened af- after Galatians 2, right? And so I believe... The Council of Jerusalem. You don't have to agree with me. I believe the Council of Jerusalem happened before Galatians 2, right? Because if you, you, it doesn't make sense if the Council of Jerusalem happened after that. And we see that in Acts 15. Also, Paul doesn't mention the Council in his rebuke of Peter. Because what happened at the Council of Jerusalem? What did Peter say at the Council of Jerusalem? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 15.7. And this is where they settled that question one for, and for all. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers and sisters, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them, the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them. He did not discriminate between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, for he purified their hearts by what? Faith, not by converting to Judaism. It says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So Peter settled this once and for all. He was telling them, okay, guys, you've, you, you, you want to know who belongs? You want to know how to become uh, a believer in Jesus Christ? Well, this was it. This is it. You don't have to become Jews in order to do that. So for Peter to have such a strong statement and then to afterwards be kind of afraid, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So this happened, I believe this happened before, because Paul could have said, hey, Peter, at the Council of Jerusalem, you said this. You know, what's up with that? Are you totally going back on what the Holy Spirit told you? But Paul didn't mention any of that. But Peter makes it clear that discrimination is not a part of the gospel message. 
Peter made it clear that we are saved by faith and faith alone. We are not saved by our good deeds. We are not saved by how many times we go to church. We are not saved by how many times we pray and read our Bible. What? Salvation is by grace and grace alone. And faith in who? Jesus and Jesus alone. And this is what Paul is saying here. But also, and we're going to unpack this more in the future in this series, that when we live out our faith, it's not by living about works. It's not about, oh, man, i got to keep doing all of these things so God accepts me, right? Then, Because if you think that way, you are thinking just like the Judaizers, that yes, it's faith, but i got to keep doing these good works in order to keep my salvation or in order to have God accept me. And when I fail, somehow God doesn't accept me. That's the false gospel. Our works are part of our faith. Of course they are, because we are told to do good works. But good works are what? A byproduct of our salvation. They do not keep our salvation. Do they, they do not give us salvation. They are a byproduct of our salvation. So if we have Jesus living inside of us, the Holy Spirit is going to be motivating us to do good works. The Holy Spirit is going to motivate us to love people that normally, ah, we would have a hard time loving. The Holy Spirit will be motivating us to hang out with people that we might have certain prejudices against. Once again, behavior is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? It's not a means to keep our salvation in you have to make that perfect. You really have to understand that. And we're going to talk about the doctrine of justification next week. And justification is a fancy word for saying, you are not guilty. God has justified you and declared you not guilty. Just for the time being? No. Forever. And so we're going to talk about that next week. Diversity can be messy, but... It is necessary for the church to glorify God. It's messy. It's not easy. When you get a group of people together that spend a lifetime of certain beliefs, especially about another group of people, and you bring them together with different values, there is going to be conflict. It's not going to be, oh, yeah, kumbaya, everything's great. There is going to be conflict, right? But this is where the Holy Spirit comes in, right? It's a process because the church started, right? And even 16 years after the death of Jesus Christ, after being with Jesus for three years, even the apostle Peter was just, you know, struggling with two. It's a process, right? And it's not an easy process. And there's some of us who have been through that process. I remember one, uh, I grew up in a uh, Japanese uh, church in East LA. And the reason it was in East LA at that time, there were a lot of Japanese there. And then the Baptists, they had these um, Caucasian minist- uh, missionaries who wanted to minister the Japanese. So I remember going up, there's this guy named um, Dr. Mayberry, you know, he was our pastor. And we had this woman named Thel- Thelma Dudro. We used to call her Duddy, right? But they were there because they had a burden to reach the Japanese. You know, and so when the Japanese were in the internment camp, who took care of their homes? 
It was the people in the church. So they started this church to reach and minister, to share the gospel to the Japanese Americans there. Then all of a sudden, we get this young, charismatic pastor, right? You know, this Japanese pastor. And all of a sudden, young people started coming to the church. But we also started seeing Chinese people coming to a primarily Japanese church because they didn't want to be in a service where they had to sit through Mandarin or Cantonese. They go, I don't want that. So they came to our church, and they liked it, right? And then for me, I did not grow up in the Asian culture. I grew up in the Los Feliz area. Okay, so my version of Chinese food was egg foo young, right? Some of you don't know that. Or, you know, when you had chow mein noodles, it came in cans, right? They weren't that stir-fried stuff. It came in cans. We had this thing called chop suey, right? And so I would somehow take my Chinese friends to these restaurants and go, what is this? I go, it's Chinese food. This is not Chinese food. So I remember one time going out. I was in college, and I went out to a, in quote, what they call, Dave, we're going to take you to a Chinese restaurant, right? So we went. And so there's a group of us. And so the food came out. Next thing I know, chopsticks are flying everywhere. People are just grabbing food. And I'm just sitting there going, what the heck? You know, I said, aren't you going to save some for the rest of us? You know, and I asked my friend, what's going on here? And he just looked at me and he said, Dave, you snooze, you lose. You know, and so I didn't know that. I've never been involved in that, you know. And so when we started to get together, you had two cultures that were blending with one another, Right? You know, we were worship, but we were still getting to know what it meant for two cultures to get to know one another. Because what happens when you get two cultures of young people together? They start dating. (laughs) And they start getting married. And we were getting complaints from some of our, you know, the Chinese parents that's saying, hey, We don't want our sons and daughters to marry anything but Chinese. We want to keep our culture intact. What are you guys doing in the church? And fortunately, I wasn't a pastor back then, but we had to deal, you know, with that. But we also had to deal with, you know what, a lot of Chinese, and, you know, understandably so, did not like Japanese. Why? Because of World War II, right? And they were really upset that their children were coming and hanging out with Japanese. And so that was a process that we as a church had to go through, right? And it's a process where we started from that and said, you know what? We need to become a more multi-ethnic church where this church isn't just supposed to be about us being Asians, but it's open to, you know, everyone, right? But it's a process, it was a messy process. You know, and thank goodness I wasn't the pastor there at that time because would, I would just hear stories about what was going on and how these, um, uh, what you might call it, uh, different cultures clashed with each other as they were trying to learn what it meant to be a church. <laughs> and it's funny because I was just talking to one of my friends who actually was with me at the, uh, that one lunch, right? And I said, you know, isn't it cool? That after all these years, I said, the Chinese learn to eat a little slower, and the Japanese learn to eat a little faster, (laughs) you know? But you learn from one another, right? And so part of that 
is Mission Valley is not at heart an Asian church. And that's important. Mission Valley is a place where all believers of all races and ethnicities are welcome to worship and serve the Lord. Now, I get it if you look around, you say, well, it looks like an Asian church. Well, part of it is if it reflects our community here. But at our heart, we are not an Asian church. And I, as a pastor, need to do better at making sure this process keeps going, right? That Mission Valley is a church that any believer or non-believer who wants to seek the Lord, regardless of race or ethnicity, they're welcome to worship the Lord here. And prejudice has no place here. You know, certain pastors have certain buttons, right? Some people, pastors are upset when certain ministry things, ministries don't work or there's some, you know, some plans go away. You know, one of my hot buttons is this. If I hear that somebody at this church is discriminated against because of the race or ethnicity or social, um, whatever social status, I get mad, and I get mad really quick. Why? Because this is how strongly I feel about this. Because number one, it has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't. Nowhere in the Bible will you say it's okay to be prejudiced against others. This is why Paul was so mad. If you take a look at Galatians, Galatians is just like the book of Romans, except Romans is kind of civil, and Paul is so mad, he wrote Galatians. (laughs) Galatians is pretty much his rant, right? And he's upset at this. Why? Because racism hurts. Have you ever been on the other end of prejudice. Doesn't feel very good, does it? I have. I mean, it doesn't. It tells you that you don't belong. And it's still happening today. You know, it happens in the city of San Gabriel. It happens in Monterey Park, Alhambra, Temple City, Arcadia. All these areas, it still happen. But one place it should not happen or ever happen is in the Church of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is saying right here. And so, you know, praise God you have the book of Galatians (laughs) to sort this out. Praise God for the council of Jerusalem, right? Where they figured it out. They figured it out. So what's our weekly challenge? Our weekly challenge is to read Galatians 2 through 13 daily. That's only three verses, You should be able to do that. It's not like I'm asking you to read a lot. But if you want to find out what happened at the Council of Jerusalem, because I think that's important, you could read Acts 15, because that's an important council and thing for you to know. Um, Pray Psalm 139, 23 through 24 daily. What's that? That's the psalm where David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Uh, Test me to know my anxious way and see if there's any offensive um, ways in me, right? And then lead me in the way everlasting. So what David is saying, God, there's some things that I don't even know I'm doing. 
God, there's some prejudices in my heart that I have that I don't even know I have. God, search my heart. Reveal any prejudice in me that I have that shouldn't be there and need be in the way everlasting. And then ask God to transform you by removing prejudice from your heart. Because it's a process. Because most of our prejudices have stemmed from a, a long time of learning. And it takes the transformation of the Holy Spirit to get out of our lives. So worship team, please come forward and um, let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the book of Galatians. I thank you so much for the Apostle Paul, for standing up to those who were being discriminated against. But I also thank you for Peter, you know, as vacillating as he might have been, that he was able to take Paul's criticism and rebuke, and it changed his heart. So after that, you just see Peter preaching on your grace and not about works. Father, he was changed by this incident. And so, Father, I pray for us this morning. And I just want to take a few moments, us to take a few moments, and ask God to reveal any prejudice that you might have in your heart. And when he does, ask for his forgiveness, knowing that he forgives you. He's not going to judge you. He's not going to condemn you. Because he promised, he said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For you see that God loves people. And he doesn't want us to hurt other people because of our prejudices, as maybe some of us have been hurt by being prejudiced against. Father, may your Holy Spirit to con- continue to work in our lives and in my life, Father, that you would uproot and get rid of the prejudices, Father, that I have in my heart that took years and years and years and decades to take root. Father, I pray for Mission Valley. I pray that Mission Valley would be like the church in Antioch where Jews and Gentiles worship together. They crossed racial and ethnic and social lines where their unity was in your son, Jesus Christ, whom they worshiped. And yes, Father, we know it's messy. Diversity is never easy. But Father, it's so necessary and crucial for the life of your church. So Father, would you lead us down that path? Thank you, Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen.